The following podcast is recorded and produced by the Podcast Precinct in affiliation with the network at BICBP-radio.com. The Podcast Precinct. Consistency. Creativity. Culture. Welcome, everybody, to Episode 5 of Stories from the Sideline. With me, as always, my new uh, co-host. I think we made it official last week, didn't we, Matt? Uh, Matt Keogh. Yep. Hi. All right. A man of many words over there. Uh, today, coming back to the sideline, we have Miss Megan Doyle. Megan, say hello to everybody. Hey. I said hello, not hey. Oh, hello. <laughs> <Right>. Okay. <laughs> and coming with Megan is uh, Ian Silvis. Uh, Ian, say hi to everybody. Hey, everyone. All right. Ian, um, former goaltender for Buff State, uh, played overseas in Budapest, correct? Played correct. some other places around. We're going to talk to um, uh, his playing career. He's got a uh, website, uh, The Mindful Goaltender. Um, Ian, why don't you tell us about that a little bit? Uh, Mindful Goaltending is just a little bit of a project I put together after playing pro and uh, just giving back to the game, staying committed to uh, working with goalies, you know, usually – anywhere from 12, 13 years old and up, just kind of working on the mental side of the game and mindfulness overall, which kind of correlates to everything they do in life, not just uh, playing goalie too. So I think that's fantastic. Um, well, Megan was telling me about that. I, I know my brother plays goal or played goal um, up until college, and I, something like that is just definitely uh, a great thing to have and a great thing to start. Um, so let's kind of uh, get into the um, mental side of the game. Um, no, I know uh, Megan. Actually, all three of you guys are goaltender. I know Megan plays for lacrosse, uh, Matt plays for soccer, and Ian obviously for hockey. Uh, I feel like I'm the only uh, field player in here for soccer. Um, but just the pregame, um, I know as players, you know, we have our pregame rituals. Um, for goaltending, it kind of seems like there's almost uh, different pregame rituals. Where I know for my brother, it was a lot of times he would um, he'd take his shots during warm up, whatever. But then he'd kind of go off. Um, on his own, whether it was kind of skating on his own, uh, whether it was just in his crease on his own, um, it was. It seemed like a, a lot more of the mental side, just getting him himself prepared for that. Um, tell us a little bit about uh, your pregame rituals, if you had any, Ian. Yeah, so I think the interesting thing about pregame rituals is that sometimes it's blended in with the the notion of it's a superstition too. So I think some goalies are. They would think of, well, I need to do it this way. I need to get dressed this way. You know, if I don't touch the post every certain way, you know, all of a sudden I can't stop a puck or stop a ball, whatever sport you're playing. Um, I think the biggest thing is turning that uh, idea of a superstition into a routine that's easily repeatable. And that's what I was trying to start building as I got older from 15, 16 and older from that uh, into something that if you can do it every game, it doesn't matter if you're playing home or away that's something that really worked well for me. So some of the things I got into would just be trying to eat the same type of meal, you know, whether it's not the same exact food, but just things that I know, you know, not going to feel too full or not too hungry during a game. Uh, those are things that there's no right or wrong answer. You got, you got to look for things that really work well for you. Uh, other than that, I think warming up around the ice, uh, off ice first and get ready on the ice. Um, there's certain people that, you know, you can't talk to them before a game. I, 
try to be like that, it doesn't work for me. Like, so I had to I had to be around my teammates and have fun and joke, be able to joke around. But then all of a sudden, just kind of hit a switch once in a while when the puck dropped, and it was a little bit different then. And as soon as the whistle blew again, I could joke around with the teammate. And I think that's something where keeping it lighthearted for me, it wasn't so serious that it was life or death. It was just playing a game and having fun. And the game was a lot more fun when we win. So that's what I found. That's awesome. I know for me too. Even um, as a in soccer, I was always during warmups. I was always the guy goofing around with people. I was always the guy uh, joking, making sure everybody's spirits were up. Um, so it's it's interesting that as a goaltender, you were you seem to be kind of the same way. Um, very talkative. Like I said, my brother, um, even before he would leave the house, even as young as like thirteen, fourteen, fifteen years old, um, he was very much locked in. Like even. Uh, there were a few times I was, uh, I'm 10 years older than him. There were a few times I'd drive him to the rink and he wouldn't say a word into the car. And um, he'd get pretty mad at me if I tried to talk to him. And after a while I knew, all right, he's just going to sit there. And off the ice after the game, he was back to normal, very talkative, very open. Um, so I, 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 that's one of the, that's, that's interesting that as goaltenders, you can still be lively. Like it seems like uh, most goaltenders I've run across are just, I'm yeah. dialed in. Right. Once hit me at five o'clock when the game's over, then I'll then I'll talk to you. If not, I don't know you. Um, Megan, were you kind of like that, or Matt, and Matt, were you guys like that as goaltenders? Um, I had like different phases of my pregame routine. Where like when I was home before I even got to the field or to the locker room, I would have to like meditate, and I had a whole pregame routine. Okay. Once I got to the locker room, then I was super active with my team and I'd like have to dance I'd have to sing I'd have to like have drink to Red Bull crush okay. it throw it to the ground as hard as I could like it was intense <laughs> nice Matt what about you <laughs> uh, I never acted different I just didn't like I was I was always like the goofy kind of like slash aggressive <laughs> I guess you I guess you could call it bipolar just like because I'd be very just like goey and stuff and like if I saw somebody like coming in the box and I, I didn't care like I'd slide tackle you and start trash talking and then pump the ball away and then start joking again and back forth back forth um the only superstition I had was drinking orange Gatorade orange Gatorade okay yeah um now if you didn't have your orange Gatorade did it kind of like throw you off your game oh 100 like i remember when i was younger my dad got like got me orange powerade once and i just lost it it was like it's not the same dad (laughs) (laughs) now goaltenders it's funny that you bring that goaltenders seem to have um not all of them but sometimes they have almost like that diva mentality where they've got to be everything's got to be just right for them um have any of you guys come across that or have any of you guys have that at some points in your in your careers like where You've either been that that diva goaltender or know somebody growing up or know somebody on other teams or who you were playing against who was that diva goaltender who had to have everything perfect. Yeah. I see Ian shaking his head a little bit there. Yeah, so I can get into that one. Uh, I've never (laughs) been that goalie, fortunately. I think a lot of that actually comes from I definitely was very fortunate to even be able to play the position in the first place. So I was kind of humbled in that scenario where I kind of knew that you know, I was very lucky to do that, and my family made a lot of sacrifices for it. Um, but I, growing up more in youth hockey, I would see that kind of diva mentality where you know maybe they weren't that good, but they always had the best equipment, and they had to have the best equipment, and that's the only thing that mattered. And it, you know, no one cares when you're not stopping the puck. So I think that's something where, luckily, I wasn't like that younger. And then as you get older too, 
you start playing even like college, not so much in college, but more pro, you see guys that are different levels. They come down to a certain league and they think they're way too good to be there. And all of a sudden, the soonest chance they get to get out of there, they're, they're gone. They don't care. Like, it's not about the team. It's just about them. And I get that in some ways because at that level, you have to take care of yourself too because nobody else is doing it for you. Oh, for sure. But there's also a certain aspect of, you know, we play an individual position in a team sport, and it's still about the team at the end of the day. So I, yeah, I've definitely seen it, and I'm not a fan of it. But <laughs> And it's funny you say about the, the expensive equipment, even at soccer. Um, it used to, in fact, it used to uh, make me play better when I'd see we'd see teams. Uh, I mean, we came, I came from Niagara Falls. We were um, not all of us, but we definitely had a lot of players with used equipment or weren't getting top of the line equipment. And especially on travel, when we, when I would see uh, personally kids coming in with hundred and fifty, two hundred dollar cleats, the fifty, sixty dollar shin guards, the top of the line umbro, top of the line this, um, for me it just made me play even that much harder, but like. And I know I shouldn't say this, but it, it, it just motivated me. Or there would be times where I'd be like, ooh, number 12, I'm going to make sure I make him look stupid. Um, as I'm coming in there with my $20, $30 cleats, my $5 shin guards, uh, my hand-me-downs, this. Um, so I know for me that just it, playing against players like that, it, it lit that fire and it made me play harder. Um, Megan, how about you? Any, any divas in the lacrosse world? I'm sure there are or were. I honestly can't remember. I, I never was. I was actually like the opposite. I feel like if we were ever playing a team and I'm like, that goalie's left-handed, I would warm up left-handed for my team, even though I'm a right-handed goalie, just so oh, that they okay. could get used to playing left-handed. I think I was lucky that I every every team I played on, though, I didn't have like an actual diva. Now, do you guys remember having like divas like as teammates, not not in the goal, but even just um, teammate divas, where whether they were playing on the uh, playing on the ice or even a backup goaltender, um, like playing with the diva? I know at soccer we've had a couple, and it's just you always treat your teammates evenly, but it, in the back of your mind, it just I don't know. For me, sometimes it would uh, you could see it bring down the locker room a little bit, bring down um, some of the guys' uh, mentality on the field. Um, anybody play with a diva um, throughout the year, Matt? I know you uh, you grew up in Clarence. You, I, I see that you had to have played with at least a few divas. What was that but, supposed to mean, Larry? Listen, I'm in Clarence <laughs> now too, so I uh, my stepdaughter just graduated this year. I've seen some divas out there. I'm not saying names. Um, I'm not. <clears throat> yes, I have played with some divas, and no, it's not just because I'm from Clarence. Um, it just happened to be on my school team. But, you know, it's like that typical person is like, pass me the ball because I'm the playmaker. And it got to the point that we were losing anyways. So we were just like, no, we're not going to pass you the ball just to spite you. I mean, at the end of the day, like, I feel like the diva people are like the ones that like try the hardest, but aren't necessarily the best skilled. I think a lot of times you find they just like Ian was kind of saying, they don't care about team stats. They care about their individual stats. Yeah. Right. They care, especially at the high school level, you care about the stats so you can go to college. At the college level, you care about making those stats so you can go to the pros or whatever the next level is. Um, I think a lot of those guys, not all of them, but I think a lot of them care more about racking up the goals, racking up the assists, racking up the saves and the shutouts as opposed to racking up the wins where that kind of seems almost secondary until you get to that pro level. Because um, then, obviously, you want to be the winning goaltender or the winning player so you can get endorsements. <laughs> um, 
we talked a little bit about pregame rituals. Any any postgame rituals? Anything like that you guys would do after a win, after a loss, whether it was team dinners, whether it was going to the same um, same pace, same place for a beverage afterwards, whether it was same any any postgame rituals that you guys had. Yeah. He, yeah, so in college, uh, one of my biggest ones was uh, going with my family because I'd usually come to the games. Um, so if it was in town, uh, I'm a big diner guy, so love omelets, things like that. We always go to Costa's after, okay. so things like that. Um, even playing around the country, same kind of thing. I would find just the most family type of diner. That's something I would always go to after games. Okay. Um, other than that... Uh, mostly in pro after we had usually ice baths things like that so I was a big ice bath guy um, when I played if I didn't play it wasn't ice bathing but that's kind of it for me I think I kept it simple I didn't like to make it too complicated because then I would just get confused and stress myself out now is it always like that after a win or a loss or was it after a win you would go to a diner after a loss you'd go maybe to a different place or uh, that would be win or loss okay. after a lot of the wins when it comes to uh kind of getting back with the getting my fluids in me that's a actually wins or loss even with like ice baths things like that too i really didn't like treating anything differently based on okay. winning or losing because then you associate certain behaviors with an outcome which i think a lot of goaltending needs to be on the process and not the outcome so i think i tried to associate as much as i could uh, with just whatever felt right for me and would make me ready to play the next night that's awesome. And can I tell you about ice baths? I'm the biggest wimp when it comes to ice baths. I'm the guy where I'm, I'll go into but like, I'm going to stay in there 20 minutes. I'm going to, I'll get in there for 20 seconds. And I'm like, Ooh, okay, let's, let's go. I'll ice it when I get home. We're, we're fine. Um, I'm the biggest wimp when it comes to ice baths. I think they're very effective. I think they definitely work. I'll, I'm the coach that I'll tell my players, make go home, ice it, go home, take an ice bath or whatever. Deep down inside, I'm like, thank God I'm not playing anymore because I hated those. I was going to say, I wouldn't call it a ritual for myself, but I definitely had to take ice baths because my shins were just covered in bruises and my trainer would just give me the look and I'd be like, oh man, I have to take an ice bath. <laughs> and I hate them too. I am not a cold person. No, I, you are not. I hate the cold. <laughs> Well, maybe if you would have put on some pads as a lacrosse goaltender, yeah. <laughs> you wouldn't have dented shins. It'd make it too easy, Larry. <laughs> uh, Matt, any uh, any post-game rituals? I have a gross one. I don't know if I should say it, though. You could say it. <laughs> it's pretty gross. But so at college, we used to, when I used to do like intramural and like kind of like clubbish, um, you know, I obviously was wearing cleats that were, like, way too old, so it would give me blisters on the bottom of my feet. Ooh. And I'd purposely come – I'd come back, take a take a nice cold shower because it helped me with just, like, clearing my mind and anxiety. And then I'd sit in my room, pop some Advil. And don't tell me pop some blisters. I'd cut some blisters in front of, uh. my, in front of my roommate and make sure he watched. You made the roommate watch you pop the blisters? I'm not proud of it. <laughs> We're still friends to this day, but he's like, that's so gross. I was going to say, I don't know who that's more traumatizing to, <laughs> you or your roommate. Oh, I was I was laughing at his response. <laughs> so it was a good time for me. <laughs> Isn't it bad to like pop him right away? Oh, it's, it's very bad because it leaves like your, your like raw skin. Yeah. And like, so the downside is I'd be hobbling around for the rest of the week, but... At the time, it, the initial enjoyment of seeing him dry heave and, like, run out of the room was pretty worth it. Yeah, I'm glad I'm not your roommate. That's uh, <laughs> that's disgusting. Um, 
how important do you guys think it is just to get yourself into that right mind frame for a game? And uh, can it be challenging? I know for me, sometimes, I'm not going to lie, sometimes there were games that I just couldn't get in that right mind frame, whether it was, it, it, you know, I just woke out of the, got up on the wrong side of the bed the day or whatever. It was just, I'd find, even if it was a bigger game, I could usually get myself uh, ready for it rather quickly. But there were games where it was, it was hard to get myself into that right uh, frame of mind. Any of you guys find it challenging for, for games to just get in that right frame of mind? Absolutely. Yeah, and I mean, I think, I think that's part of it. Like, why we have that ritual or that pregame is to get yourself in that right of mind, especially if you're not in that right of mind. Um, and I know Ian and I have talked about this, but making that first save is also really important, and I'm going to let you talk more about that because okay. you explain it so well. <laughs> I was going to say, as a goaltender, is I, I've heard people say that they want early action on. Is that more important, or do you rather you know have the end the action down at the other end and kind of ease your way into a game? What's what's oh, no. <laughs> I, th- I mean, well, I guess there's that's double-edged sword, right? Like, if it's an opening face-off and they come in on a breakaway, that's probably not ideal. Probably not but a good no, idea. No, not, not the best situation. Uh, but you also don't want to sit there for 12 minutes and watch your team just dominate them at the other end, and then all of a sudden they come in on, a, like, a two-on-one, so it's a high-scoring uh, opportunity for them. So it is really important to definitely get it some kind of action early, ideally, like, a, a shot from far away, something like that, just to touch the puck. Um, I think or ball, whatever sport you're playing there. But I think the thing is it can be difficult, and that's where, like Megan said, like the routine is so critical because it helps a lot with just the nerves aspect of it because you can get a little jumpy when you're waiting for something to happen. And then I think the, the harder you try to make a save, that's when making saves becomes so much more difficult rather than just, I mean, for me, I knew where they were shooting the puck. I mean, going to the net, I don't have to just get myself in front of it rather than try so hard to make saves. So I think that's the interesting part of the balance of waiting, going for saves. You know, then you start thinking about it. That's the worst part too. Like once you start thinking about the fact that you haven't stopped the puck or had a shot yet, then it's even worse. Then you're not even focusing on anything else but just the fact that you're in your own head. Now, how about the fact of um, giving up an early goal? Like whether it's the first uh, first minute, first five minutes of the game. Um, or even just a a goal that you, especially if it was a weak goal, a goal would you know you should have should have saved. Um, is that uh, is that something that could definitely uh, put you on tilt or throw you off your game? And next thing you know, seven more go in the back of the net. Yes. Let's just the short answer is <laughs> the yes. Short answer is yes. <laughs> the semi longer answer is it's it's difficult, especially when you're young, because you probably haven't really cemented any of those uh, routines really in yet, and you're still changing things. And the problem is then you're changing too much at the same time. You don't know what works. But when you're getting scored on, like, an early goal and things like that, I mean, not proud of it, but it's definitely happened quite a bit in my career. Even in college, it took me until my senior year to really kind of hone things in a little bit. But it can be very devastating. Um, At the end of the day, though, the game's not over yet. And so you're going to dictate the rest of the game based on how you respond to those things or I guess in some ways how you don't respond to those situations with the body language whether it's uh throwing your head up or I mean obviously to verbally swearing things like that yelling at teammates looking at your teammates the wrong way um I think having a routine around not just preparing for the game and making saves but also when you get scored on 
uh, a way for you to kind of come back from that and reset it without it being a detrimental kind of detour in the game and being ready to get right back to it. Now with mindful goaltending, um, is that something that you is that something that you kind of teach the younger goaltenders that you work with? Listen, it's, you've got to have a short term memory. You've got to you just gave up a bad goal. Is that something that you kind of work with them a little bit? And yeah, absolutely. I think uh, the biggest thing that when I'm working with like younger goalies and focusing so much on the mindset thing is that you it's difficult in certain ways, but more rewarding in others because you can't really preach to them because they need to find out what works for them. And I think that's what some goalies or coaches will do in any sport is, you know, even if they've had a lot of success, they might try to say, like, well, this worked for me, so it's going to work for everybody. And I think it's really what's more important, especially on the mental and emotional side of the game, is to present options for them to choose from and try, and they can figure it out for themselves. Um, that's what really works with a lot of younger kids because if, if you just tell them what they're doing it doesn't work, you know, they might not even want to – they might not even like you anymore because it's like, well – that didn't work for me last game. I don't want to work with you anymore. You got to give them. And there's a part of it where it's they've had to have the agency to actually have some accountability for their game too. And it's easy for somebody to point fingers. Well, this didn't work, so it's my coach's fault. Instead of it's you know I'm it's up to me to decide if it works or not. Yeah, and I think a lot of athletes now um, they're they're quick to almost be like you said, blame their coach, blame the equipment, blame their trainers, blame. Um, their 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 players, their teammates on their team. Um, I definitely think that that can be something um, that can snowball. Yeah. Um, Megan. So something, the first time I was ever thrown in goal as a little wee seventh eighth grader, um, one of my coaches at the time. The first thing he told me, he's like, "You have to have the mindset of a goldfish." He's like, "Things are going to happen. You're going to get shot on. Goals are going to go in." He's like, "Think about it for three seconds. Let it go. Move on." And that is one thing that I've lived by in lacrosse. And I, like, continue, even with my girls now, I'm like, three seconds. I'm like, something happens, that girl pushes you. Three seconds, think about it, get over it, keep playing. And I think that's, like, the mindset that's helped me. But now maybe that I shouldn't push that on everyone because it might not work for everyone. But <laughs> I think that's a great mindset, and I, I tell that to my kids, too. Now, I take it a step further, too. If something good happens on the field, remember the good thing, but kind of that, that quick, hey, you did well. Enjoy it. Yeah. Now it's on to the next play. You can't sit there and just uh, revel in your in your victory out there. The game's not over yet. Um, so I think that's great. I think uh, the the goldfish mentality. Goldfish. We're all goldfish. <laughs> <laughs> that could be the new team name. The uh, the Grand Island Goldfish. Oh my god! Ooh. Fantastic. <laughs> Uh, Matt, now how about you? I know in soccer, um, like in, in lacrosse and hockey, I know sometimes they're facing 20, 30 shots. Um, soccer, you're not near, facing uh, nearly as many shots. Um, you're probably facing, what, maybe closer to five, maybe ten on a, on a rough day? Yeah, you know. Is it, it, it depends on how strong the attack is. Do you think it's more, it's more detrimental for a, a soccer goaltender, especially early on, especially if you know you're playing a team that's um, very evenly... Um, evenly competitive, is it more detrimental or, or tougher to get over if you give up a quick early goal, especially if it's one that you really thought you should have saved? Um, you know, if, like if you say like somebody's like just crossing the ball in and you touch it the bad way and it just rolls in, um, and you, you, you get back up, but the way I see it is is that they already kind of think that they have me beat, so I want to try to play that 
Like, so, like, I know that I messed up, but they might think that, like, oh, he's, like, a trash goalkeeper. So, like, they're going to try to be fancy with it, or they try to do, like, more different kind of, like, attack ways. So, using that mindset, I want to try to point that out and be like, no, I just screwed up. It's like, I ain't trash. Um, catch him off guard and stuff like that. But, you know, like you said, most of the time, I'm, like, if the ball's in my side, I get ready but it's not like I'm going to face a shot. It's like it's I'm either there standing in the 18 or the ball's on the other side. And at that point, I just that point, you just got to make sure you don't get caught off because, you know, you step out and you're like probably at midfield and you're just chilling there waiting. Um, you know, it like as in sports, it, it happens. You either get scored on, you score a goal, you lose, you win. Um, you know, being competitive, you you can internalize that and you you can either use that goal that you let in as fuel or something to hinder you. Um, and I think it's just a matter of developing as a player to be like, all right, don't let this hinder me because I have before. You just got to you turn turn every bad thing into something that can help you. Just learn that process. I agree, and I love that. Um, now on the flip side, have you guys had those games where – it just seems like no matter what you're doing, you're stopping everything that night. Like, it's just, uh, I know my brothers at times uh, told me after shutouts, it almost seems like the game slows down. It almost seems like the slap shots aren't coming in as fast or everything slows down. Have you had just those, uh, I, I, I'm going to say my age here, those Jordan moments, those Michael Jordan moments where no matter what you do in that net, you can't do any wrong that day. Um, Ian, go ahead. Yeah. Yeah, I think the the best thing about that is just like when you're in the zone like that. Um, I think really the key of that is you're you're in you're in the moment in the sense that you're not thinking about anything else that happened before the game, after the game. You're only processing everything that's happening right around you in in your exact field of view. Everything there. I think that's what's so critical about it. Where like the slap shot seems slower, it's because you're actually tracking the puck the entire way. You're not getting distracted. Um, in, I mean, puck tracking so critical or watching the ball, anything in any sport uh, as a goaltender. But things like just the little skill sets that it's so easy to not do when you're there's too much head trash going on and you're thinking in your head, you're not really paying attention to the small details. The other huge thing that usually happens when you're in those moments is that time's either so slow and it feels like you have so much time to either recover and get to a new uh, angle for another shot or time just flies by because you're just enjoying it and you're not having any issues and you're not getting in your head that all of a sudden you might I know there were periods and uh we were playing in Plattsburgh when I was in college and I had I think 17 or 18 shots just in one in the third period when they were trying to come back and it felt like the period went by in like three minutes just because it was so much activity and so much just having fun in the moment like nothing else I couldn't process anything else which is amazing that's awesome do you ever – I know there's been times in games where, whether it's making defensive plays or, or goals, did you ever – does that make you kind of get uh, – I, I know it obviously gives you confidence, but it make it almost get to that borderline where you start getting brash. I know there would be times on the soccer field where I'd, I'd make some people look silly and the idiot in me would start trash-talking a little bit or start like, ooh, dude, I made you look stupid. I'm sorry. <laughs> um, did you ever, do you ever get that as like a goaltender? Like, hey, nice shot, buddy. Not really, but, you know. <laughs> That's – so that's fun because that's a that's a great question. Um, when I was younger, yes, and then the game humbled me very quickly. And I think that's the one thing as the three of us being goalies, it's uh, 
it's very different when you come from that side of the game because it's there's no one else to hide behind when you make a mistake. So you know, a, a forward in the forward check on the other zone makes a mistake, loses a guy, all of a sudden they come back on odd man rush. Like the whole breakdown of coverage started with him and all the way back. Well, he can just get off the ice and sit on the bench. When you make a mistake, you know, you're, no everyone sees you, and especially as a goal, I mean, you're standing out there. You can't hide from anything. So I learned that lesson when I was younger. And, you know, once I got to, like, college and pro, there were guys that I knew on other teams and things like that. So, like, when they're forwards and they're standing around the crease, like, I would joke with them after, after the play or something. But definitely not a big trash talk guy. A lot of laughing and having fun. And if anything, I actually poked fun at myself and made them laugh because it, uh, most of the time they weren't expecting that. And they're like, that's kind of strange. So that's where I uh, had my laughs and giggles, and where a lot of the time I see the ref a lot uh, stopping, like stopping the play, freezing the puck. I had a lot of fun uh, making fun of my team sometimes, being like, "I guess we're playing the whole <laughs> whole game in my zone tonight," and uh, give them a good laugh, give them a chuckle, and hopefully get some favorable favorable calls. So I guess there were a couple. Uh, Besides that. So oh, even if you aren't trash talking, I know hockey, and I think that's one of the fun things about it is there's so much trash talking, even though it's not the goalie, but like going on everywhere, and I think you call it chirping. Oh yeah. <laughs> like what kind of what it's what is said? Oh well, that's that's an interesting <laughs> question because I've I've had this with other coaches, and I was always. I, I know I don't look like it, but I was always one of the biggest trash talkers on the field. Uh, whether the guy was guarding me, I was guarding the guy, whether it was uh, just their other team, I would try to throw them off their game by trash talking. Um, are there rules on trash talking? Is there? Is it no holds barred? It, it, is it, all right, we can't say certain things? Um, I know for me, I would trash talk. I tried to keep it relatively clean. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> there were there were times that I, you know, the the fiery fiery little Italian in, inside of me would um, definitely say some things that I had to apologize to players or even friends afterwards. Um, but is there is there certain etiquette, if you will, in trash talking? Anybody here? Well, it depends who you ask. So, okay. Okay. So Fair. it's funny because while while playing, I wouldn't chirp. But then when I wasn't wasn't my game and I'd be on the bench, I would be the biggest teammate I could be, like cheering for my team, but then also trash talking. And you think so? You were more of a trash talker on the bench than on yeah, the ice, which is kind of funny because usually a guy not playing shouldn't be talking much. But I didn't really care about that. But I think it's like part of that mental game too. Like you're trying to get the other team exactly. off their mental game. You're trying to get in their head so they screw up more. So. Yeah, and I think when you think. <laughs> So sometimes they were kind of like clean things, you know, just kind of like, oh, do, does your coach know you're out there? Or like, is the guy's uh, numbers 24 or something like that? You're like, oh, 2-4, get off the ice. Or like all of a sudden we scored and it was a guy's turnover. I'm like, 2-4, that's your fault. You know, things like that. And sometimes they'll look before the face-offs and they'll look at us and be like, they don't want to hear it. But, I mean, sometimes they can get kind of gutless. That's uh, where you – there's a double-edged sword to that too because if you don't want to – have things said like that to you, you got to not dish it out. So I think that's the fun part of it and also the the bad part too. No, for sure. And I know for me, the second I would get that reaction from that guy, that made me turn it up more because oh, yeah. I'm looking like, I just got in your head. Oh, yeah. You're not thinking of the next play that's coming towards you. You're going to try to embarrass me and you're going to screw exactly. up. Exactly. So I think that when you get that look, it's just, all right, let's go. Game on. Um, and there have been a lot of guys that I've, that I've played with over the years, uh, whether it's been travel teams, um, high school teams, 
um, where they don't care what you say. Mm-hmm. They will um, they'll let it slide off. They'll give you no reaction. Um, for me, anytime somebody would trash talk me, I just I almost took it as as a challenge. Like on the like, all right, let's go. I've got uh, this is fun. I've got a sparring partner. For me, it was usually I'd say ninety five percent of the time it was after the game. Hey, nice job, bud. You know, no hard feelings with what I've said. We'd shake hands. No big deal. Now, uh, that other 5% of the time, uh, we'll, we, we may go into that later. But um, it was usually just, uh, you know, hey, it is what it is. It's part of the game. Um, Megan, I can't. Megan or Matt, I can't. Actually, Matt, I could see you being a trash talker. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. I could see you being. Now, is it different trash talking from the net as opposed to being out there? Or is it just you got to be louder? You know, I'm a loud person, so I can. I don't care where you are on the field. You're going to hear what I want to say. Um, but I think <clears throat> different positions on in soccer uh, for me can give you different set of trash talking, um, especially for goalkeeping. Like, say I was just on my game, and any shot somebody would take. I would just get like, <laughs> I would scream like I'm too good. I'm, like it wouldn't be against them; it'd be against like I would be hyping myself up. I'd be like, "You just don't learn," and I was just like, "You just like do something different." Just like this is too easy, anything like that. And my my own like teammates and like my coach and like especially my dad, he's like, "What? Like why? Like they don't want me to say this stuff." But like I don't care. Like that's me having fun and also like trying to get like especially like people just give me like those looks. They're just like this guy's full of himself. It's like you darn right, I'm full of myself. It's like I'm stopping all your stuff. And I feel like a goaltender. You've got to be. You guys might tell me if I'm wrong, but I feel like you've got to be even more confident about yourself. Yeah. I mean, you got the entire rest of the team is trying to beat you for a goal. I mean, it, it, am I wrong or do you as a goaltender do you just have to be? even more self-confident yeah you definitely need it you need that for sure (laughs) um i know and like you said on the field if i screw up i know i've got you know uh 10 guys behind me including my goaltender that can uh recover not only that i can get up and i have a chance to make that recovery on my own if you screw up as a goaltender well it's going in the back of the net and you know now your your team is down a goal so i feel like uh goaltenders definitely need that extra boost um. Uh, Megan, were you a big? I see Megan kind of smirking over there. A big trash like, talker, little trash talker. There was only one game I remember trash talking, and it was because for whatever reason this one girl came at me, and it was in high school, and she just like started talking crap to me, and it wasn't until she had an eight meter shot on me, and she was like kept like talking to me, just I don't even know what she was saying, and I just looked at her, I was like, don't miss. And I saved it, and I was like, oh, that was a nice try. I'm like, better luck next time. And then every time she chewed on me and I'd save it, I'd say something like, oh, like, that was cute. Like, shot it, missed it. I was like, that was cute. And then, like, when she'd let it in, I'm like, well, I'm like, I have to give you one. This was getting embarrassing. Like, <laughs> come on. Okay. All right. But that's the only time. I'm really not other than that. But I think it was just out of nowhere just trash talking me and i was just not happening not that day that, not having that <laughs> listen i love it you got to stand up for yourself you got to get a little feisty every now and then but then i i said this too i'm like i i see it more as you're trash talking so i just want to play better than you like yeah. i just yeah. right. for sure you can definitely do trash talking with your play with your actions yeah. um now as goaltenders i know when i coach uh um my goaltenders in soccer i'll tell them they have to be the loudest player on the field 
the loudest player on the ice. They have the best vantage point. They can see where the defense is, midfields, forwards. Um, how important is communication as a goaltender? So important. I, I don't think I'd ever shut up during a game. If the puck was in our over the blue line in our end, I would talk the entire time. And I think it's probably one of the most underrated skills for goalies. Oh, for sure. Because it, I mean, from a team standpoint, it makes so much sense, and it's very obvious. But from a coaching standpoint, like a specific skill or goalie coach, I guess you could say, like that's not really brought up too much. It's really just, you know, can you do butterfly? Can you shuffle? Blah, blah, blah. All that kind of stuff. And I think it's so important because it really, at the end of the day, it makes the team's job easier. It makes my defenseman's job easier if they can come back and grab a puck and I'm telling them where to go or where not to go or that kind of stuff. And you're dictating the play without even having to touch the puck. And I think at the end of the day, the, be- the easiest team defense is to play more offense. So if you just can just get help get the puck out of the zone or tell guys where to be, then it also helps as a goalie. There's so much anticipation that has to come into that. So if you're telling a guy to cover somebody, well, okay, that's one less option that you don't have to try to guess and figure out, well, what if puck goes here? How, do I, how am I going to make that save? So you can start breaking down the plays a lot easier to where the team only might have one or two options against you. So okay. they, and without that, I mean, the communication, you're just out there by yourself on an island, and it's not a fun place to be. Oh, for sure. <laughs> um, Megan, how about in lacrosse? Like, I know just a bigger area, it's just talking. as important. Always talking. I, uh, same thing. I never shut up during a game. I'm like, even even when the other goalie has a ball and they're clearing out, I, that's, I'm like, ball out, right side, um, like, directing my defense to get back. Sometimes there's a girl falling back and we don't see it, and you just have to constantly kind of tell them what to do you're the quarterback exactly. oh That's, for sure yeah i oftentimes i'll tell my soccer goaltenders and matt you can kind of tell me if i'm different or if i'm wrong here uh your your goaltender in soccer is almost like an assistant coach out there oh, um, yeah. i mean they've got they're they're yelling at your midfielders they're yelling at your forwards at your defenders um they're almost like a a, a player coach um how important on the soccer field is it for goaltenders talking and <laughs> oh. were you, i i know you were a big talker i'm guessing yeah no um Honestly, I think that just, you know, like like Ian says, like it just it helps especially as a goal, goaltender, it's like it just helps eliminate factors that you don't have to worry about. Number 1, number 2, like say like somebody is just like capturing a ball that I just sent out and I see two defenders run like two people coming from behind, like just that simple call out can like change the flow of the game. Um, and you know, being a coach now, I think it helped me being a goalkeeper because I can see the field in a different way that like just some other coaches who might never played have. And to be honest, sometimes like being at the coach, like being on the sideline in that position, isn't the best vantage point. I mean, like standing behind the net, seeing the full field in front of you is way better. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, that's, that's actually something I do when I coach. I often have to stand behind my goalie when they're playing because that's just like how I visualize things. Right, I have a hard time like sitting on this. Okay. Yeah. That's cool. I never thought about that. But, yeah, you definitely get the best vantage point from behind the net. Um, And don't get me wrong. It is one position I will never, ever, ever play in any sport. Although I did play it in pickup hockey once. And um, I don't know how you die every time you have that equipment on. I mean, I played an hour game. I think I lost, like, 20 pounds in just sweat. I mean, I I was dripping. And it was a hot day outside. And I'm just... I'm like, oh my god! I'm like, why am I? Why do I need to drink like every thirty seconds? I feel like, I mean, is it is it something as a as a hockey goaltender with all that equipment on that you just have to get used to? Yeah, yeah. You just kind of 
embrace it at that point, I think. There's no hiding from it. No. <laughs> sweat I, all the time. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's uh, – and even just having a brother who would uh, always bring his equipment into the house, it um, – not gonna lie, it yeah, Megan's giving me the thumbs up there. She knows where we're going. It gets a little smelly at times. It's ripe. Oh, you know, yeah. it definitely is. Great. <laughs> um, but um, so now, is there a times where you guys on the field? And I know I've had arguments with teammates. Um, has there been times where, um, whether it's been a miscommunication from you, whether it's been a breakdown um, in communication on the field, has there been times where you've had to get on? A teammate for just a, a bad play, bad breakdown. Um, what have what have you done in those instances? I know we've all had them. I know there's been times where, um, for me, I try not to embarrass anybody. But there's been times I've had heated conversations. You know, usually five ten minutes after the game, we get together. Hey, you know, it's you know, this is what I'm trying to say. We cool, blah blah blah. We shake hands. It's all over. Uh, but there have definitely been times where you you get in some heated conversations with your teammates. Um, how do you guys have you guys had that happen, and how do you guys handle that? I think uh, there's a couple layers to that. I mean, like you said, you would talk to them after the game or something like that. And I think that's critical too, and like pointing out that you don't try to embarrass them if you don't have to, because I think that's where it creates a big divide, especially in the middle of a game. So I think after a play, if I, there was a breakdown, I had to make a big save. Um, if I cover the puck, whatever. I'll call them back to me and so they don't go for a line change yet and I'll say, you know, okay, like I need you to do this or that. And I just talk to them because then they're not going to hopefully have any animosity towards me. But if the way I speak to them changes, they might say, you know, screw this guy, whatever. And then who knows if they're going to help with the rest of the game and they might disconnect from the game just because I, you know, said something quote-unquote mean to them. Um, sometimes if it's a more serious or less important in the sense of for the game's sake – you know, in between periods or like you said, after the game. And there's only a couple of times I've ever had to kind of like yell at somebody. And usually it's not that aggressive. I mean, if I had to yell in a, in a, I'd say mean way, that's the nice way I'll say it, I guess. <laughs> if I had to be like that, I mean, it's something really bad would have had to have happened. And generally that never happened too much. So it is something that's interesting because I think, if you get too much into somebody's face, the biggest thing as a goalie that I found when it comes to like having somebody, you know, try to fix something, is that nobody that's a and you might understand this too. Nobody that's a player out either on the field or on the ice wants to be told how to do their job by a goalie. Just like nobody that's a goalie wants to be told the forward just oh, oh just stop the puck. Like well yeah no kidding like that's what I'm trying to do the whole yeah. time. Like thanks. Yeah. I didn't I didn't realize I was supposed to do that. Exactly. <laughs> so I think like that kind of stuff can get tough. But uh, other than that. Um, there's definitely a time and a place, and I think it's the way that you say it matters the most. And if you're just trying to win the game, like obviously being as nice as possible, at least until later, and then you can kind of give it to them after oh, the game. For sure, and there's definitely uh, different games, especially close parts in games or you're playing against a rival where um, I know there's been times uh, playing in a high-level travel game. I was playing with and uh, my buddy Mark. This guy's literally still uh, very good friends with him. Um we, I mean, we had to be pulled apart um, at halftime by teammates. We went at it. Um, I still say I was right. But uh, it was to the point, you know, but, you know, we still played. We played out the game. At the end of the game, we, things were still a little heated. But, you know, um, it's it's something where just that emotion of the game, that flow of the game, you're, you feel like if he would have done what I told him to do, they wouldn't have scored. Or if, And I'm sure he's thinking, well, 
Larry messed up over there. He didn't do his job. Why should I have to cover for him when he obviously screwed up? Um, so it's definitely uh, things can obviously get very heated very quickly. Mm-hmm. And um, like you said, you definitely would you want to try to have cooler heads prevail. But at the same time, something sometimes they, they don't always. It, it doesn't always happen. And I think I just reminded me of something, too, with the cooler heads prevail. One, one time in pro, I mean, in the middle of a game, it was – intermission between periods and they're doing the ice and i think i finally hit a breaking point with one of the teams and i tried to fight my teammate in the room in the room in the room because it was just one of the and it had nothing to do with actual one play it had to do with a culmination of about three weeks of our team not like basically just not being led whether it was leadership coaching whatever and just just maybe personal not caring in some ways and i think that's something where at my boiling point i just hit it because i'm like i can't I can't do anything else at this point, and I kind of snapped on him. And I mean, it wasn't a ideal thing to do, but at the same time, you can only do so much when you're watching everything happen and just is crumbling in front of you. And that's one of the things where I think, you know, do I wish I didn't do that? Of course not, but it happened. And I think that's something where, it's, to your point, like it it can happen. It's just not ideal when it does. Now, do you think something like that, like even even now as a coach, I'm I'm very fiery, but I'm always positive, very positive. Um, for me, when I have to give that uh, that let's get it in gear speech, um, I've noticed teams kind of like, oh man, coach never gets mad like this. We better listen. Is that something where um, uh, a fight or an almost fight in a locker room kind of matters more when it's coming from a guy who never really loses his temper, where they're like wow, Ian's getting, I've never seen him like this. He's getting this mad. Something must really need to change fast, as opposed to, you know, if it was, well, that's just something he always does. Um, do you think just the fact that it, it if it comes from um, more of a laid-back guy or, or a quote-unquote easygoing guy and then he blows up, do you think that kind of gets the point across a little a little more impactful? I think it does, and I think you made the perfect point of, you know, sometimes people that just have a temper like that means nothing it's just them being them again um if it comes from somebody that's always like the hardest worker and quiet or somebody that's a leader that's always been even keel and then finally the leader loses it whether it's a captain or whatever uh same thing with the coaches i mean there are coaches i've played for that yell all the time will you know make fun of you all it doesn't really matter and then so when they start yelling people already tuned them out halfway through because they tune them mm-hmm. out the whole season because they don't want to hear from them compared to a coach that's you know been kind of the quote-unquote like players coach and as everyone's best friend and it's super awesome and then when they he loses it you know everyone's like oh wow you know maybe we are really screwing things up so definitely for sure um that makes a huge impact nice um matt or yeah matt that's your name i had i had it i had, a, I, had, a, I, had a, I don't know i had an old timers moment over here uh matt <laughs> megan anytime that you guys really just Listen, had it with a teammate or just um, whether it was during a game, after a game, before a game, like, hey, we can't have this happen again. Um, any Anything that you guys can remember out there? They're both thinking. <laughs> yes. Um, I mean, I think, and you do this in hockey too, um, after every goal, our defense would always beat up. Like, no matter, even if it was on the other team, on me, we'd always meet, we'd always talk, what happened, what can we do better? Um... And there were definitely times where, again, like sometimes your team just kind of like gives up, you know, everyone's in their own head, everyone's doing their own thing. And I think in those moments, I've had a few where I've had to like, yeah, yeah, yell at them. Like, I'm like, and it's never anything 
super aggressive. It's just like, I need you to try. Like, I need you to actually play. But I think I was also more positive where... And this might be different, again, playing guys and playing girls, is... I feel like I couldn't yell at my teammates without them shutting down. Okay. So I think... And maybe it was just the team I played on. I think we, like a lot of my teammates couldn't handle being yelled at. So I had one player when I was a junior. She was a freshman. Fantastic player. She had a lot of anxiety. She put a lot of pressure on herself, and she would just completely shut down during games. So I got to the point where the ball would be on the other end and she'd be kind of like crouched down because she'd be in her head and I'd just come next to her and I'd just start jumping up and down and I'd be like I'm not gonna go back to my crease until you get up and start jumping with me and she'd be like (laughs) I'm not doing that and I'm like well they're gonna score so she'd get up and it's just like little hops you know little like pump up hops I'm like okay here we are I'm like we're up everything's fine I'm like nothing matters right now we're gonna come out we're gonna keep playing let's go and then as soon as she'd do that I'd go back to my crease and that's awesome. I'm like, but that was... And then sometimes it was just, like, you know, knowing your players, and, like, I'd have to go up and, like, just talk to one one-on-one, and I'd, like, put my arm around and be like, just get back in it, you know? Mm-hmm. You, you're doing fine. Just Take keep a deep playing. Breath. Keep playing. <laughs> That's <laughs> awesome. Um, I know with me, uh, as you two are well aware, I like telling corny, goofy jokes. There's been times, whether it's been uh, as a coach or as a player... Especially, I, I notice I do it a lot when um, one of my players gets injured. I'll come out there, and the first thing I'll sell them is, especially if I know that you know they're not writhing in pain, but I'll give them like just one goofy joke. And if I see them smile or laugh or or even try to fight back a smile, I'm like, all right, it's not that bad of an injury. Um, and I've got yelled at by a lot of my players, but like, coach, if you're gonna tell jokes, at least make them funny. But like, <laughs> come on. Um, but it's uh, I, I'll do that with teammates too that I've played with. You know, just to, for me, it's just if you can get them laugh, just if you can get their mind off, even for a half a second, just of what they've done bad or what happened on the game. Um, it's it'll get them in a, a better mind mind frame soon. Uh, now it's funny for me, like if somebody tells a corny joke for me, it, it, for whatever reason, it does like the opposite. I get more mad, and, and teammates <laughs> like. No, that's my thing. Knock it off. Um, Note to self, never tell Larry a corny joke. <laughs> when I'm in a good mood, I love corny jokes. But uh, <laughs> not, when I, not when I screwed up on the playing field. Um, but Matt, any time uh, heated arguments or anything? Um... Not, unless it, not unless somebody started it with me. Okay. I've never been the person to start arguments. If anything, I'd be like, if I if somebody scored on me and it was my fault, I'd like kind of give myself an out loud pep talk to everybody else and be like, let's get this back. Like we got this. Like we're doing fine. Like it was like it was just a mistake. Like we got this. But if somebody comes up to me and directly tells me that, like, hey man, you screwed up, I'll be like, really? Because they had to go through you to get to me. And I was like, so and so then I'd get defensive. But it's not out of like. Not out of anger, it's more out of defense. Okay. If somebody ever, like, addressed me with something. Okay. So more, yeah, more of just, like, standing up for yourself. Right. Okay. I could see that. Um, yeah, there's, I mean, it's, I think just playing with that, with that, you know, especially middle of the season, end of the season, you're playing with these guys over and over. Ian, I'm sure you're, you know, you're um, roommates with these guys, right. um, especially playing overseas. <laughs> um, you just, you become a family, and families love each other, but... Families also yell at each other, too. Um, and it's, you know, usually anytime I've had an argument with a teammate with um, uh, players, it's usually, you know, it'll usually last 
10, 15 minutes. Maybe it'll spill over to the next day's practice, but usually it's, uh, hey, man, we cool. All right, let's go back, water under the bridge, and then we get back to playing. Um, now, that kind of takes me to my next point. Um, just the, uh, and Ian, I think you can kind of speak to this a little bit more. Um, what did you notice the difference in progression from, like, youth hockey to college to playing on the the pro level that you did, especially overseas? Um, talk us a little bit about that and what you noticed were the big, uh, big transitions that you needed to make or um, just the big changes and things. Right. Uh, so I think the easiest thing to jump from would be, so youth hockey slash junior hockey, which you play to go and get recruited to play college um, for hockey. The biggest difference is the room for error just gets smaller and smaller and smaller every, from youth all the way to pro. And once checking is involved in, in ice hockey, pretty much all the mistakes are the same at that point. It's just the room for error, like I said, gets smaller. So I think that's something where you just notice that over time, and it's not, you know, obviously just turn your head around and be like, oh, wow, it's different. No kidding. But when you when you get to that level, it's just this, the thing that you could get away with in college, you can't get away with in pro because you'll get scored on, you won't stick around. I mean, when you're in minor pro situations, I mean, you're kind of a piece of meat, for lack of a better term. So you can get released at any point. So you have two bad weeks, you're probably off the team. Or you might okay. get traded the next night and you have no idea. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's it's more cutthroat. It's very cutthroat. So it's actually funny because I was playing, it almost flip-flopped, like kind of a pancake back and forth there. Youth hockey was kind of, you know, everyone's developing. That's what it's all about in development. Um, then junior hockey is like the first taste of cutthroat where it's very, everyone's trying to get better, get recruited to go to college. Um, then all of a sudden in college, most teams weren't very, uh, you had to really screw something up to get cut from college teams. Usually most coaches, unless it's like a high-level D1 or even some really intense D3 teams, um, unless you really screwed something up academically, uh, socially, or with the team, and you're—I mean—you're just kind of a piece of trash or something. I mean, you're not going to get cut from the team. So it almost went back to that development standpoint of I have four years to play hockey here and get better. And then back to the the pro after that, it was just like junior hockey, where it was very cutthroat, super serious, um, very very competitive. The difference that the biggest thing from North American hockey and minor pro here to Europe, uh, the very different one, the ice rink, they use the Olympic size ice rink. So that changed a lot of it because there's more space and became way of a, more of a east west game. So lateral passes across the net. I mean, they come down on a rush and still try to make three cross ice passes where a lot of North American hockey is a lot of north south, which isn't getting in more and more east west of a game. But that's some of the different things. Um, I was very fortunate that a lot of the players knew English, which helped me. But there was definitely a language barrier with some of the other players or other teams. I mean, usually I'd use, just like we talked about communication, um, you can use the other team's communication to help anticipate plays when you hear them calling for passes or saying shoot or something like that. When you don't know the language, you you can't use that. So it's something that was very interesting to me that I didn't think about until I was in the games and they were just yelling and I'm like, Okay, I don't know what they're saying. So, <laughs> kind of kind of throws trash yeah. talking out of there. Makes that yeah, exactly like what'd you call me? Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, definitely some big differences. But uh, overall, year over year, it didn't seem that crazy, except for the big steps between college and pro and the different levels of pro too. So, 
Okay, I'm sure the intensity had to have been ratcheted way up. Um, now, how was it playing overseas? Um, now I know Megan went, went. Megan went with you, um, but just I mean, was it more of? Did you find it more of a mental aspect? You know, being away from your family, being in another country, not knowing the language, like you said. Um, talk to us a little about that, just on the mental side of being over. You were in uh, Budapest, right? Bud- yep, Budapest, okay. Hungary. So yeah, I mean. Beautiful city, which was amazing. So that itself was just very fun. Um, the The worst part of it, I'd say, was probably the mental emotional side. Was so little backstory. I had double hip surgeries in, in my junior year of college, so my my hips were mo- so much more mobile. I wasn't in pain all the time. The wear and tear on my body, I think I was kind of able to move in better ways. But then my back and the rest of my body was kind of adjusted for my hips' lack of mobility before. So after my first year pro in North America, I didn't really notice anything, but my back started to hurt more and more during the end of the season. And then by the time I went to Europe the next year, uh, we were doing two days because their training camps are about twice as long, so it's almost a month because a lot of European teams and countries don't have ice like we have everywhere. So that was something that was kind of interesting to notice too. And... What really happened was back started breaking down, bulging discs, herniated discs, uh, stenosis, which is like a hyperuse injury. So all these things are just culmination of like years and years of just trauma to the spine. And that's what really turned into, I mean, as nice as Budapest was, I mean, it was only nice when I was, wasn't in pain, which was probably 80% of the time anyway. And the pain was something that I couldn't get rid of it wasn't like oh just you know stretch the muscle and it's fine when it's in like in the discs of the spine it's just there so bad um so it became a situation like you said like being away from family was tough that was the first time I was that far away I mean I was across the country and stuff but that was I mean it was easy to get like and it wasn't ever too far but like when you're a eight or ten hour flight whatever it was across the world it's very very different especially the roommate situation I mean the team kind of lied about that stuff i mean there was so much that was wrong that if it wasn't for the pain i easily could have handled that but i mean it's i mean it's embarrassing but like before megan came over and stuff like that i mean like the pain was so bad like you're crying yourself to sleep three times a week because you're just like you hate everything there like i didn't want to go to the rink because i was just trying to survive practices yeah you're you're miserable being in pain i'm sure yeah and you're not getting better anymore you're just trying to survive and then take a bunch of Tylenol ibuprofen to get through games which I was doing since my last year of college so I mean think about that I mean like there's no track to a a winning scenario when you're having to do that to play and then the it wasn't even fun anymore and so I think one of the first times I smiled around the rink was when I did my mutual release to leave Budapest and then so I was going to come back here and I play a little bit here before finally realizing I can't make this happen yeah, and I know with the back, the back can, I mean, my back's bothered me for a lot, um, but it's just one of those things, like you said, you can do some certain exercises for the back, but, you know, typically if you have uh, a knee injury, a shoulder injury, an elbow injury, all those things usually heal, you know, you might need a little bit of a rest, do some rehab, but the back is one of those things where it can take a long time to recover, and brother, when you're in back pain, you're in back pain. I know yeah. mine... There were times, especially in my lower back, where I didn't, or especially as an old guy now, sometimes couldn't get out of bed, and it hurts. And it's just one of those, like you said, it's those, it's that throbbing pain, and you know, like, 
for lack of a better thing, I just got to ride this out yeah. right now. It's I know it's going to get better, but it's going to be a it's going to be a bumpy ride. Right. Um. Now, you so you said there was a lot of relief um with the release uh, from Budapest and coming back home. When you came back home, was there still that that thought that maybe back in the states I can I can you know have uh, better access to doctors, better access to care, and maybe uh, um, prolong the career, or did you kind of come back knowing that this is probably this is probably a wrap? Um, no, I definitely came back thinking you know much so just been the care. The, the club didn't really want to take care of me, so my, my coach was paying for my chiropractor overseas it was a joke i mean it should never have happened so as soon as i came back i'm like this is it's i need to find a team and i need to play um some people were supportive of that decision some people were not too supportive of that decision um a couple side eye glances here <laughs> and uh, but no so ten- matt were you not supportive of his decision <laughs> yeah. matt you caught me i'm sorry <laughs> Damn it. but uh yeah i think it was 10 days later after landing I was going down to Virginia to play there yeah. in Roanoke, and that was uh, that was an interesting time too. Because then I started realizing, okay, maybe it's not the healthcare. I mean, I'm requiring all this time to like get my back ready. Then my hips are getting tight, my hamstrings are tight because my back's getting tight. You know, everything just just feels like the childhood, like the neck bones connected to the you know whatever song <laughs> whatever that is i don't know but one of those i mean it was horrible and i started that's when i asked i actually drove home for christmas break which is like an eight hour drive back to buffalo from roanoke uh i told the coach before i mean i was like tearing up in that meeting because i'm like i need to talk to you the next day can, can i come to the office before practice he's like yeah okay and i didn't i mean i didn't know what to say i was like i i can't do this anymore because i'm not helping the team i'm not getting better i'm just trying to get through a practice then you know it's not only the back at that point it was my hips my my ankles everything was just getting messed up and jacked up from playing because i was trying to protect everything else so i was overusing everything else um and so i told him i didn't want to put the team out right before the holiday season i ended up driving back home for christmas drove back to roanoke went on an 11 hour trip up to peoria illinois wasn't supposed to play that weekend. Um, the goalie, the other goalie, got run uh, right behind the net. I think the first like six minutes of the game. So I was, I had, he got concussed. So I had to play the rest of that game plus the following night. Should not have played at all because I was not. I didn't have a back adjustment in probably three weeks at that point because of the holidays and traveling and everything. And plus the road trip on a sleeper bus, eleven hours doesn't help. So no. it uh, a lot of trying to avoid what I knew was probably coming because I was easily going to play until I was 27 to 28 and just travel Europe and make some money and have fun and just enjoy it. And then after that point, I'm like, okay, this is, I had to do that, which was probably the toughest decision I've ever made. Um, and then after a handful of months of rehab, that's where I was like, still not happening. And it took me another even five, probably five to really come to terms with like, this is not going to happen. Yeah. I mean, it's, I think for any player, it's, that's the toughest part of playing, no matter whether it's the, the youth, the high school, the college, the pro level. It's just, you know, it's it's hard um, stopping. I know for me it was, um, you know, I was getting ready to play college soccer. I was all set um, in a travel game that I probably shouldn't have been playing it. I ended up blowing out my knee, and that was pretty much uh, a wrap on my career. I mean, when I got back, you know, it took me long with the rehab, with everything, with the ACL surgery. 
Um, but it, it just got to the point, too, where for me, um, that's what got me into coaching. For me, it was just um, uh, I had a lot of free time on my hand. You know, even during the rehab, you know, when you're walking after the injury, you got to keep mobile. Um, it was me helping out with a little league team here, helping out with another friend's team here. And for me, it was just I, I knew I could have came back and played if I wanted to. Um, I don't know how much how good I would have been if I would have um, gotten back to the point where I was before the surgery. But for me, uh, it was a better transition because my my passion just changed. Mm-hmm. I I found myself um, being more passionate about watching game film, being more passionate about setting formations, uh, running practices, uh, and then it led me to my uh, first coaching job at uh, the Park School. Uh, where we we run our summer camp, but that was actually my first uh, the, coaching their varsity girls team, and it just for me it just renewed myself, um, renewed my love for a game, but in a much uh, much better way, much different way. Um, but for any player, you still have that. Man, I, I my my head says I can do it. I, I'm ready. I know everything that I've got to do. My body's just not there anymore. Um, Megan, Matt, and um, when did you guys know it was just, you know, whether it was that transition from from uh, high school to college, college to going to the next level, did you guys have that moment where it was just, okay, I think I can still play, but it's going to be more like uh, rec leagues, more like, you know, lower level leagues, whatever, more for fun than for competition? So... <laughs> Sorry, giving each other looks here. Oh, and Megan, um, congratulations, by the way, on your, your championship lacrosse you. season. Thank you. It's really just a beer league, but... Doesn't matter, still a championship. Honestly, and I was talking to Ian about it. I'm like, I think it was the most competitive lacrosse I've ever played because I played at a D3 school in college, but playing in this league, I'm playing against like D1 girls, D2 girls. I'm playing against girls who are still in college, like playing as... It was crazy. It was really intense. <laughs> and you came out as champions. I did, sure did. <laughs> Because I'm great. That's right. <laughs> um, wow. I forgot what I was going to say. <laughs> About uh, when you knew it was time to just go to the... Oh, yes. So I knew in high school I wanted to play in college. And I hate to be one of those people that's like, I chose a school so I could play lacrosse. But I kind of chose a school so I could play lacrosse. Um, with that being said, I was still very mindful that I wanted to find a school that had art education because that's what I wanted to do. And I also didn't want to go to a D1 school because I didn't want to be owned by a school if I couldn't go on after college. So Buff State it was. And I had the best three years ever. And I ended up stopping because I was graduating early and I had a student teach. And that was a really hard decision. I still have a year of eligibility and I think about it all the time. Any schools out there listening? She's still got a year left. Oh, I joke with my coach all the time. I'm like, I still have a year of eligibility. She's like, don't even, don't even tell me that. <laughs> but I mean, honestly, and I, that decision to stop playing, and especially for me, like I, I do think about it. I have that year of eligibility, but stopping it was the most heartbreaking thing ever. Like, more than any relationship, more than anything I had ever gone through to that point, that was the most heartbreaking thing I've ever had to do, and. It's so upsetting. <laughs> For sure. I mean, I know I know. I started soccer when I was, I think, five, six years old. I'm sure it was probably the same with all of you guys. It's, uh, it's a big part of your childhood. It's a big part of your life Yeah. Um, up to that point. 
Um, Matt, how about you? When did you know it was just time to? Uh, well, I know you still play. Well, you're you're a big kickball champion. Um, but uh, yeah. do you do you miss not playing? Do you? Um, um, I miss playing in a competitive atmosphere, and I'm not saying kickball's not, but like obviously, like beer league and rec league is like different competitiveness. Um, so I miss that, and I think I just stopped because. Like, I was doing a lot of music stuff and all this other things. Like, that's so much time commitment that I just didn't have the time to. Then after I left my first college and kind of stopped doing music, I was like, all right, I I think I can, like, get my body back into playing. And then, lo and behold, I started playing in my friend's beer league kickball team. And I snapped my ankle and really messed up the tendon and... Uh, the uh, stubborn person in me refused to let it heal properly, and it I was just like, you know what? Can't do that. Like, it hurts right now as I'm sitting here. So I guess it's beer league kickball and rec league soccer for the rest of my life. Listen, I'm still waiting for you to set up that uh, summer camp soccer league. Dude, I'm trying. You know? I just got home today at 2.30, and now I'm here. <laughs> I, I'm looking to dust off the cleats, and uh, the old man's going to make a re- make a return. We'll see how well that goes. But my knee's already in pain thinking about the return. I'll finally learn how to play soccer. <laughs> <laughs> you coach it. You might just... But um, now for injuries, because it seems like that's – I would assume that's a big reason why people stop. Um, just coming back from injuries, um, I know for me uh, it was my – I think it was my sophomore year um, playing travel soccer in high school uh, where I was, of course, goofing around in practice. We thought it would be fun to play rugby at the end of practice. And, of course, uh, right before my dad came to pick me up, I had the ball. I got tackled, fell, and broke my shoulder which was the dumbest thing I ever did. But I know just um, being off, it was about a four- or five-week recovery. And just that first game back, that was my first big break of anything, um, any bone um, except my nose, which whatever. That's a whole other story. Um, I know playing in that first game back, I really was hesitant until I went down for a slide tackle and I got bumped in the shoulder and I kind of got up. And it was like, okay, it feels fine. It doesn't hurt. I'm healed. And for me, I needed to have that little bit of, okay, it's not going to break again. And then I could go out and play the rest of the game, the rest of the time, whatever, like my normal self. Um, How is it for you guys? Do you guys remember any big injury that you guys had to overcome, even your first injury um, where it was just, all right, this is different. All right, it's going to take a little bit of time. Like, How is it getting over injuries for you guys? Or any any injury stories from you guys? Why is everybody looking at me? <laughs> <laughs> or maybe I'm the only one who here was dumb enough to have an injury at a game. <laughs> but um, I mean, I never had any serious injuries that stopped me from playing. I had a concussion once, and I think that's the only time I ever had to stop playing. But I have a lot of dents in my shins. That's, 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 it hurts. Like, I mean, that was a thing. Like, I would have injuries that hurt, but never stopped me from playing. So I just keep playing. Okay. Yeah. Um, Ian, anything like the big injury that you remember? Yeah. So I had my first serious injury. I was a freshman in high school. And it was, (laughs) it was, uh, I was pushed from behind playing football in gym gym class. Oh, of course. Somebody being the the gym class hero. Yeah, uh, of course. So I broke the growth plate above my knee, and uh, um, I didn't know this. Okay. Anyway, so I broke the growth plate above my knee, so I had a cast on, you know, four or six weeks, whatever. 
that was difficult. That was my first big injury. So coming back for travel hockey at that point, I mean, pain tolerance was a lot lower then compared to as you have more pain and get older and everything. So that was like when talking about being a goalie and trying to butterfly on my knee, that was very, very difficult. So it took me a long time to feel confident back in, you know, my body and being able to move around without pain. Um, with the hip surgeries, that was pretty intense because I had double hip surgery. So did it seven weeks apart and they had to shave down the, uh, the bone and also repair the labrum on both sides. So that was something where that was, I mean, months of rehab, which is way different than just like breaking a bone or something. So I think at that point it was almost easier to me to get back on the ice because I would push myself just to the point where I knew I wouldn't get hurt and re-injure something. But because of that, I was earning the confidence to get back on the ice so that when I was getting on, there was a little bit of pain, a little discomfort. And then after a few weeks of skating again, I was finally like, okay, this is, I, I earned this. Like I deserve this. It's okay. Um, but definitely you need that little confidence to get back out there and, and trust yourself again. I know one of my teammates, he didn't have a surgery on a knee, but he couldn't play for a while because of that. And he would wear a brace for so long. And I remember, I think one game he was so used to, to wearing it, he forgot it on the road trip. And he had no choice, and I think he had a shutout that night, to be honest. So it was kind oh, really? of, yeah. So it's amazing where, like, sometimes it just becomes a kind of a mental blockage where we're like, we need something that we end up, when we don't have a choice, we just get out there and do it. And But, yeah, injuries are, you learn a lot about yourself, and quite honestly, if it weren't for the double hip surgeries, I wouldn't have been able to keep playing after college because I had to, that was where I learned how to become consistent and not get my own way was because I had to for rehab for this for the injury. Oh, so for I sure. had to. That's just And I, I think in rehab well, sometimes you you I found sometimes your work ethic increases just cuz it, it it kicks it into another level cuz you know, hey, I've got to get back on the ice. I've got to get back on the field as quick exactly. as I can. Um but you don't want to you don't want to be that guy that tries to do too much. Right. Next thing you know, you have a 2 to 3 week setback. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Definitely. it definitely is a fine line. Uh, Matt, any any big injury stories? Any anything that you had to overcome? No. Um, <laughs> to be completely honest, no, I don't. I never had an injury that stopped me from playing because um, I just played through it anyways. And Superman. The, and I suffered like <laughs> like say I remember one time we were practicing free kicks or the other my 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 teammates were practicing their free kicks and I was just the goalie being in there, but like. I wasn't going to let them score it, uh, just even if it was a practice. I remember I ju- it was raining, and I jumped up, and I punched the ball out of the corner. And when I landed, I sl- like my foot slipped, and I landed with my elbow going straight into my hip. So like I, the next day, like it had this huge bruise and stuff. So when I was playing, like I remember diving on the right-hand side, and I was like, ooh, can't do that. So if anything, I tried to alter my play to just like protect the one side and just like, all right, well – don't kick it this way. I'd force the shots to my left. Let's just say that. But no, nothing ever that like took me out and just put me down for the count. Um, Thankfully. Well, I mean, that's definitely lucky. But I feel like soccer goaltenders are like that. There are not a ton of injuries back there. Um, unless you get the occasional jerk who tries to run the goaltender or right. slide tackle into the goaltender. Um, now, just making that transition from uh, player to coach, um, how do you guys feel like that transition has gone or what's been the, the biggest thing? Um, I know for me, like I said, my transition after my knee injury, I just, I found it fun, especially when I got my, 
when it was at when I was at Park and it was my team and I was the one running the practices. I was the one making the formations. Um, I found it it was just it was such an easy transition, but it was also a fun transition and it was a it was something that I definitely had to learn. Um, thinking back to practices that uh, when I played higher level travel, um, I tried to run some of those practices uh, my very first week and learned very quickly that some of the players, most of the players that I had weren't at that level, even though they were playing varsity, they weren't at that level to handle those type of practices. So I, I had to learn very quickly that I had to, um, for lack of a better word, water down or modify my practices to, to their level, um, which can be frustrating because you think back to, well, I was doing this stuff when I was in eighth grade. I was doing this stuff when I was why why don't they know this yet? There's some of these girls are juniors, seniors getting ready. Why? But you have to understand and you have to learn that what you played with, what your competitive level was at a player isn't the competitive level as other teams are. Now, granted by the end of the year they were doing those drills, but you almost had to take two or three steps back to get them to go forward. Um so what was it like making that transition from player to coach? My first experience with it, um, I did not like. <laughs> so now like, is this the the illustrious soccer coaching no, career actually, or for no, no, or lacrosse? Before that, so again, like lacrosse, I I love lacrosse. I love lacrosse. It was my favorite thing. It just helped me so much in my life. So again, giving that up was super heartbreaking. And I went through a really weird funk where I just didn't know what to do with myself. Like not having that every day and. My goalie coach at Buff State became the head coach, and when she became the head coach, she was worried her goalies wouldn't have attention or, like, get what they needed. So she invited me back um, to help, like, warm up the goalies and do things with, like, do goalie work. And at first I was super excited, but then going back and it still being my team and the girls that I played with and then having experiences, like, they'd have a bad game and they'd be like, oh, we... One of them said to my face, like, oh, you're so lucky, like, you're done. Like, I just want this to be over. And in my head, I was like, are you kidding me? I'm like, this is your last season. This is all you have left. And that was terrible. (laughs) That was, like, a terrible coaching. And I wasn't even, like, a coach, but just being in that environment, it it was rough. And then this guy named Larry... (laughs) Asked me if I wanted to coach modified soccer. <laughs> I heard that guy's kind of a jerk. Yeah, he's no. bald too, I think. <laughs> um, and that was okay. That was fine. I think I wanted to coach because I loved the sport that I played so much. I wanted to give back, and I wanted to help kids realize that they could love a sport and have that take them wherever did. Um, so I think soccer was actually a really good start for me and just kind of getting my feet wet and figuring it out. And then for Grand Island, which is where I coach... I was subbing for their PE teacher, who's the varsity coach, and I left her a note one day. I was like, hey, introduce myself. I'm like, I'm a goalie. would love to coach. If you need an assistant or either like anyone just to come in and work with your goalies, I'd love to do that. Didn't hear from her. And then, like, four or five months later, she called me up and asked if I wanted to coach JV. And I honestly didn't think I was ready for it. I was terrified to have a whole team to myself, but I wouldn't change it. I love it. 
I that, think it, it that turned into the best experience for me, and it was kind of a disaster the first year. It really wasn't just for me thinking everything was going wrong, but really everything was going right. Um, <laughs> oh, I don't know. No, that's, that's fantastic. And I think just reaching out, that's uh, – I know when I first got out of um, college and I wanted to start coaching at the high school level, I – went through about five or six, seven different districts, and I just emailed their athletic directors, giving them my resume, saying, you know, if you have any um, uh, any soccer openings, anything, I'd, I'd love to help out as an assistant, as a head coach, whatever. And in fact, uh, my first interview, I, I got a call from Kent Moore. Um, Brett Banker sent me uh, an email and then called me and asked if I would like to come in and interview for the uh, girls' modified position. That was my first, uh, after I left Park, um, and during the interview, he starts by asking me a whole bunch of bowling questions. He's like, well, were you a good bowler? Were you this? And I had the biggest puzzled look on my face and I'm like, well, you know, I used to bowl in, in um, not in high school, but in middle school, um, I was about a 150, 160 bowler. I wasn't and he kept asking me about bowling. Well, what would you do with this lane pattern? And finally, about 10 minutes into the interview, I said, I'm sorry, I thought this was a uh, interview for the girls modified position and he looks at me he's like oh you've already got that now we're going to see if you can coach varsity bowling <laughs> okay ended up getting uh, two jobs that day they ended up giving me the varsity bowling job which I kept for a couple of years until I transitioned into indoor track and field but it's just I think reaching out just as as young uh, if there's any advice I could give to young coaches um, reach out send yeah. send your resume to anybody even if there's not an opening that year you never know when something's going to come up, and you never know what sport it's going to be. You know, for me, I, I, I coached bowling. Megan had to start off as a soccer coach. Uh, it's just one of those things where, hey, you got to get your foot in the door some way. Um, but, Ian, what was that uh, transition for you, you transitioning from player to coach? Um, how did that go? Um, definitely rough. So I think I was kind of starting mindful goaltending while I was over in Europe. Okay. I was kind of preparing all that, getting uh, like social media going, planning a website, things like that. Um, I had at that point, I would play as long as I could, 27, 28, hopefully transition into playing or coaching, you know, college and try to maybe become like a specialized coach and just be like a goalie coach professionally. That was the, the plan back then. And with hockey kind of ending the way it was, it was really the flip-flop of that like I almost wanted I mean I couldn't even go go to the gym because I if I wasn't training for hockey I'm like I don't want to I can't do this it was just making me miserable and it started the same situation with getting on the ice and obviously it wasn't the kids and I could still do it but I it wasn't the same fulfillment in the beginning and I was like okay it's maybe I shouldn't be doing this as like the full-time as like a college coach or something and um like kind of going like the assistant coach route first um so it was kind of a rough transition because it I was surprised that that's how I felt. I didn't think that was ever going to be the case at all. Um, and I think that's where I kind of found my niche in being, well, I can do this privately, you know, do as much or as little as I want, whether it's lessons or clinics or camps. Um, and it gives me opportunity to kind of pursue other things too as well. Um, and I, I, I think that's where it's kind of the sweet spot because I can help a lot of people, um, you know, with what I do outside of hockey but the thing is that I find so much um enjoyment and just kind of those I got it moments for kids when they're it finally clicks for them and that's something that's going to stick with them forever and I think just with the focus that I have of 
in some ways I think it's a shortcoming, but in some ways just knowing who I am is that I, I'm not very good with like the eight year old goalies and or 10 year old goalies and just being like, let's just focus on basic things. Cause I, I wasn't good at hockey because I mean, I'm six one, I was overweight, more overweight now, but, <laughs> but you would think about it that way. I mean, I was good because I can play consistently better and I knew where to put myself and it wasn't that I was super flexible or super tall. And I think that's where I can, that's a skill set I have where I can impart that on kids that are just, you know, a little bit older and can grasp it. And I think that's, that's the fun part for me. Um, and at the end of the day, you know, they're going to have that. And I think I said that before, but they're going to have that even when they're not playing anymore, they're going to have those things, whether they're as a student or their professional careers too. And I think that's where the coaching path took me was not where I even thought I would be going, but it's, it's so much fun now, and I'm glad that I'm doing it. Absolutely, and I'm glad you said when a kid has that aha moment, because mm-hmm. for me, it's just mm-hmm. no matter how many times you drill it, drill it, drill it, drill it, when you see them get it right, for me, it just like, ah, uh, it's it's <laughs> almost like you both did it. It's yeah. almost like, all right, <laughs> finally. Um, I, so I love the fact that you brought up the aha moment. Um Matt, what about you? That was there. That now, as a as a goaltender, um, do you find yourself coaching goaltenders more in soccer, or do you like focusing on them a little bit more? Or well, it's I, I like to coach the entire team, obviously. But um, if I see like a goaltender, like you know, having weak points or something like that, and um, I, I will interject like similar like tactics and stuff that I learned or stuff like that. Um, give them different workouts. Um, <laughs> sometimes I see, I find myself like as a coach, like trying to teach the team like the importance of a goaltender because sometimes they don't think that like they just, you know, they think like the most important person is like the scorer or like that. It's like no nah, man, it's like you got you got to protect you got to protect the goalie. Or you gotta you gotta appreciate them. So as a goaltender myself, like I'm like you know what, let's let's teach these kids like the appreciation, the value of every position on this team instead of just, you know, the ones on the field running around all the time. No, absolutely. I agree. And like you said, sometimes I know for me in soccer, it was, for me, it almost seemed like like uh, punishment when he played goal. It was like, oh, no, I don't want to do that. Um, but like, the goaltender is very important. I mean, if there's nobody there to stop the ball from going in, stop the puck, from going in, you're not going to win many games if you put the worst player on the field there in goal. Um, so it's definitely, uh, I like the fact that you, you've got to tell some of these kids just how important that position is. All right, um, before we wrap things up, we're going to start a little uh, Coach's Hot Seat uh, segment. Matt, I didn't tell you about this yet, so we're gonna. Uh, this is going to be a little news to you. Uh, we're going to do, I've got five quick questions. Um, you guys are going to answer these just as quickly as you can. You can explain it as you want, but um, try not to think about it too much. Uh, first question, favorite sports movie? You guys can answer whenever. Favorite sports Miracle, movie? Miracle, for sure. I mean, classic hockey. Hockey movie, can't can't beat it. Love it. Megan, favorite sports movie? I mean, I love Miracle, but I think it's called like Love and Basketball. Okay. Is old, that what it, love and Basketball, yeah. Yep. I love that movie. Okay. <laughs> Uh, Matt? Sandlot. Sandlot. I just watched that last night. That's fantastic. fantastic. Um, For me, it would probably be either, uh, you know what? I'm going to go remember the Titans. I'm going to stick with Disney. I just, I love it. I love the message. I love the underlying uh, meanings behind it. I I find it fantastic. Um, So 
one sport you regret not playing as a kid? For me, I know it doesn't look like it, but I always thought I could have been a great football player. Um, I know my five six, uh, even in high school when I was one hundred and fifteen pounds. Um, I don't think I would have done anything except maybe be a kicker. But that's the one sport that I regret not playing when I was a kid was uh, probably football. Ian, yeah, uh, lacrosse. I think my school didn't have it, and it was one of the very few sports that I knew was very similar to hockey. And I always wanted to try it, but I just didn't have the like the timing for it either, and everything. I was like, well, oh well. And I think now to everybody I, who didn't, doesn't know already by now, Megan and Ian are dating. You guys been together two, three years, two years, three years, something like yeah. that. Something I don't like even that. Know. Years. <laughs> so, Ian, did you say lacrosse just to score a little brownie points with Megan? Or I was going to no. say he's never admitted this to me. <laughs> no. So I know you want to be a lacrosse goalie and yeah. know we're better. It's fine. Very nice, <laughs> Megan. One sport you wish you could have played I or might, regretted not playing? I guess as a coach now, right now in my life, I would say soccer. <laughs> <laughs> but realistically, volleyball. I okay. Always, like I think volleyball is super cool. It looked like fun. Oh, super okay. Cool. Super I could cool. see that. And Matt, football. I couldn't play football because um, I had open heart surgery as a kid. So like my doctor was like, you can't do anything with heavy contact because that will okay. kill you. But in a different world, I definitely would have played football 100. percent Any position? Any certain position? You know, I can't catch, so I'd probably be either halfback or I want to be middle linebacker, actually. Okay. Just to hit the crap out of people. Just to be that, that thumper, <laughs> that hitter. <laughs> All right. Um, favorite food or dessert? Favorite food or dessert? Lemon meringue pie. Oh, that's a good one. Okay. Same, actually. That's my favorite dessert. Ah, I like it. I like it. But food, my mom makes what's called zucchini casserole, and I feel like it doesn't sound appetizing, but it is my comfort food. It's fantastic. I love it. Matt? Ew. Yeah. Leave me alone. Anything pasta, and it doesn't help that, um, you know, I'm I, my girlfriend's Italian, so I get that all the time. Heartburn all the time, but it's <laughs> I'll suffer through it. And now it's funny, as, as an Italian, and I love cooking sauce, I love pasta, but my favorite would be ribs or barbecue. Ooh. I just, I, I've got the, um, not going to lie, uh, Vicky, my wife, uh, she's going to love hearing this. Best gift I ever received was a digital smoker. She got it for me about f- three, four years ago, and it is absolutely fantastic. I'll throw in the ribs there, let them uh, slow cook on the smoker for about eight hours, Oh, I love them. I'm getting hungry just thinking about yeah. ribs right now. I love barbecue. Nothing better than a good barbecue ribs. In fact, one of my one of my things, my bucket list is to just when I finally retire is just to travel around the country with with my wife Vicky, who also loves barbecue, and just hit up small different little barbecue joints um, all across the country. I, barbecue by far one of my favorite foods. All right, uh, question four: um, Are you a cat or dog person? Dog all day. Dog. Both. Okay. Can I can I say that? Well, here's my justification. <laughs> Dogs, I love the amount of energy they have and just and just the the fun that they bring. But I love cats because number one, you have to kind of earn their trust and their appreciation, and number two, they just do their own thing and leave you alone half the time. So it's like you know like. I can go out and not worry about coming back to, like, feed or, like, take my cat out. With a dog, it's kind of a little more, like, 
you have like a set schedule. But I like both, just different reasons. With a dog, it's almost like a small child. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, I like both too, but I like dogs more. Okay, then cats. <laughs> if we're gonna Somebody, be, if we're gonna be gotta represent cats here. Uh, I myself am a dog person too. I've got two dogs, Bella and Bailey, at home. Um, like they are, they are my my little children, my fur babies. Um, so oh my I'm, gosh. I I love cats too. Um, yeah, I know. Whatever. I love dogs, uh, and I said it. They're my little fur babies. Um, <laughs> no judging. And last, uh, last of the coaches' hot seat questions. Um, favorite TV show? Letter Kenny. Letter Kenny. You know what? Show. One of my buddies uh, had me watch that the other day. We watched like two or three seasons of it. Wasn't my cup of tea. I just didn't. Get it. I, I, I couldn't get into it. Matt's giving me death stares over there now. But just w- w- why? Why? Like, what is it? Um, I don't know why, but just that sense of humor and just the, the mannerisms of some of the characters is amazing. Just just the writing alone, too. I have to appreciate it's it's great. And I don't I don't see why you don't like it. <laughs> uh, maybe I'll have, maybe I didn't watch the right seasons. I'll have to watch it a little bit more to get into it. Uh, Megan Ian, favorite TV show? I have like 17. I really, <laughs> I don't know. Um, right now we're going through like a Bob's Burgers little, yeah. I would say Bob's is one of my favorite. Okay. Uh, New Girl, yeah. Attack on Titan. <laughs> Great show. Fantastic. Yeah. Very cool. Say, uh, the Office, it's very stereotypical, basic kind of question, right? The same thing with the writing is like that in Letterkenny. Just like the characters themselves develop such a great, um, like screen presence. I'm not obviously I'm not a film person, so I don't know anything about those <laughs> kind of things. But it's just they're so funny and it's so like such a dry humor in both those kind of shows where it's it's so funny. I love it. Um, I was always a comedy guy. I loved Seinfeld. Um, Seinfeld's oh, yeah. a fantastic yes. show. I know I'm dating myself again, but one show that I've really gotten into lately has been Ted Lasso. On uh, on Apple, oh my God! On Apple, in fact, this is going to make me sound uh, really silly, but we've um, we just upgraded our phones, and we had the only reason I got it is because on our on our phone upgrade, we had a free year's worth of Apple uh, the Apple TV. So I happened to have it on there, and I, I binge watched season one. Season two is on now. For those of you guys who don't know, it's um, basically a football coach from America who's been hired to go coach a European football team, so a soccer team in England. (laughs) And it is just an incredible show. Um, uh, Jason Sudeikis is is the star. He's uh, Ted Lasso. I just think it's, it's, it's funny. It's emotional at times. It's just, I love it. If you're looking for a good show, um, I hope Apple is paying me a little bit of money for this, but uh, <laughs> Ted Lasso. Ted Lasso on Apple TV. I think it is fantastic. Um, speaking of fantastics, uh, I want to thank um, Megan and Ian for coming out. Um, remember, check out uh, Mindful Goaltending. Um, uh, is it mindfulgoaltending.com? Yes, it is. Okay, mindfulgoaltending.com. Uh, please check it out. Um, Ian, how long have you been running the site for now? Um, I think uh, probably a year and a half now. Okay. Coming up on two. Yeah, coming up on two. It has to be over two, maybe. I was like, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, wow. Budapest was two years ago. Oh, 
Time How? flies when oh. you're miserable. No. <laughs> <laughs> Time flies when you're recovering from back yeah. surgery. But uh, please check out the Mindful Goaltending, and thank you guys so much for coming on. Uh, you guys did tremendous. Uh, Matt, as always, uh, thank you for coming on. Thank you for dealing with me. <laughs> All the time. Uh, so I want to thank everybody for coming on. Um, and tune in next week for more stories from the sidelines. You guys can also catch us on Instagram at stories from the sideline. Bye everyone. And we'll see you next week. Okay, we all see celebrity stories on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, anywhere we can absorb information from every day. But what about the people in our hometowns who make the world go around but don't get any recognition for it? Hi, I'm Dan Torres, and my podcast, Your Average Ordinary, focuses on those people. Those people that have extraordinary lives, jobs, hobbies, talents that you may not even know about that you walk past on the street every day. Join me every Saturday as I'm joined with a new friend to talk about how their average ordinary life impacts so many others. And there's so much to talk about because there are so many different people. You like movies? We talk about that. You like acting? We talk about that a lot. You like video games? I'm always talking about video games. Join us every Saturday, Your Average Ordinary, available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and anywhere you can find.